seven, Stan Good morning, New York Met baseball fans. How are we all doing? Well, after last night, maybe not as good as we would like. Like Mick Jagger and Keith Richards once said, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. And what did we need yesterday? Well, more than anything, we needed reassurance that Taiwan Walker hasn't lost it. Sure, we lost the ball game yesterday, 3-2, to two, but Taiwan Walker, let's capsize uh, his season so far. He went from an all-star to a second-half disaster area as a pitcher this year. Now, I'm sure fatigue had a lot to do with it, but no matter what, he did close it out the season on a high note Wednesday night, even if the Mets did not hold up their end of the bargain. And just ask Marcus Stroman about not holding up your end of the bargain this year. Now, Walker took a one-out, one-hit shutout into the eighth inning, only to leave with one out and two runners on, both of which scored under Seth Lugo's watch as the Marlins came back to meet the Mets 3-2 to two at City Field. Now, again, the good news was it was Walker's longest outing of the season. He gave up just two runs over seven and third innings to finish winning area 4.47. He walked off the mound with a 2-0 lead, and the City Field faithful gave him a standing ovation, and it was well-deserved. It was a, such a strong finish for Walker. Uh, and since the All-Star game, you don't want to hear this, please close your ears. But since the All-Star game, he had a 7.74 ERA in 12 starts. Ouch. Now, those numbers really don't good as, look good, especially those second-half numbers. Uh, but even Walker conceded that, look where he was the last three years, throwing combined 67 to 30 innings, gone there and make 29, 30 games total, and throw 159 innings. We got more than what we bargained for. We didn't think if he could pitch this many innings, and maybe he shouldn't have pitched this many innings, but he did, and he's a gamer. So you got to give him credit for that. And uh, Walker was, you know, it was he was the backup plan to Trevor Bauer. And aren't we glad we didn't sign Trevor Bauer? Like I said, sometimes the best signings and trades you make are the ones you don't make. So by default, Walker ended up with the Mets. And look what happened. He did okay for us. Uh, and it's going to be nice to have him cemented in as part of rotation next year. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, hopefully he gets his rest and rehab. And he's ready to go after full pitching all these innings this year. Now, he did sign a two-year, $20 million deal with the Mets just before spring training. And he will be an important part of the uh, Mets rotation in 2022. Uh, and hopefully what went wrong in the second half for him is a good way for him to learn going into the 2022 season, not to repeat those mistakes. Uh, now, Will Michael Conforto be able to come back? Uh, I don't know, as a Met. But he did crush a 469-foot. It was majestic in the fourth inning to give the Mets a one nothing lead. So this could very well be Conforto's last game 
as I met in City Field today. I'll be going there. I'll be rooting on Michael. But to be honest with you, I wouldn't be disappointed if we didn't sign him. I think our priorities are Syndergaard and Stroman and take it from there. We can't realistically fly too high over the salary cap. So we'll see what happens in that regard. Now, like I said, one of my personal priorities, if I were to match GM, and who knows who that's going to be, or Sandy Alders and whoever's going to be running the show when the decision time comes for this, I would go out and sign uh, Noah Syndergaard. Now, the good, Noah Syndergaard, the good news is we'll get to see him pitch one more inning, either Friday or Saturday against the Braves. Uh, and we've waited long enough, haven't we, since he uh, made his comeback from Tommy John surgery. And it's, it was almost two years since he last pitched. And the club was encouraged by what they saw Tuesday. He was throwing nothing but fastballs, no breaking balls, and he struck out two in a perfect inning. So he has the juice. He has the electricity working for him, and that's a good thing. And while Syndergaard said Tuesday night he was fairly certain that he and the Mets would reach an agreement to keep him in Flushing, Alderson declined to say whether it would be a situation where the Mets would either make him a qualifying offer or nothing at all. Sandy was noncommittal. Uh, Syndergaard, as far as Walters was concerned, had this to say, not that those two innings aren't going to tell us anything definitive, but I think for him, those innings were important. What I do appreciate is players who have a real passion for New York, and that's not just because they can be more successful in New York. I'm happy Noah wants to be in New York. That's a big step in that direction, and I think Noah's the type of player that will thrive in that New York atmosphere. He needs that little kick in the butt, that little buzz, the little electricity, uh, the banter with the fans, the thing he's got going on with Twitter all the time. I think he feeds off of that. I'm not sure if he feed off of pitching, no, no, I don't know, um, Tampa Bay, I don't know. I'm just using that. And sorry, Tampa Bay fans, if I uh, slighted you on that one. But I think Noah's the type of pitcher that is made for New York, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Thomas Nino probably won't be catching him his next time out because he landed on the injured list with a left thumb sprain. His third stint with that injury this season. So it's been a recurring problem all year. And guess who's coming back up? Patrick Gazika. He's going to take his roster spot. And uh, right-handed Sean Reed Foley, who's been up and down like a yo-yo this year, was optioned to triple Syracuse, making a roster spot for Syndergaard, who was the 29th man in uh, the roster on Tuesday because they had a man for the doubleheaders. So uh, some more and more changes happen in Metland. And that's some of them. <laughs> Every day something happens, right? That's the beauty of baseball. But the big picture is what's Sandy Alderson going to do this offseason? Now, it may be in everybody's interest uh, that all these decisions are made in a timely manner. But is Sandy going to pull the trigger and make all these decisions in a timely manner? Uh, now, the Mets entered this season with high expectations. They went 103 days in first place of a week NL East before collapsing over the final months. Alderson cited injuries on the performance, running out of starting pitching depth, and not hitting well as the main factors for what he called a disappointing season. Sandy, as you know, is a very analytical guy. He's big on process, but results do matter, and even Sandy concedes to that. And if you don't have good results over a period of time, then the process may not survive. So as we approach the end of the season, we have to be realistic about the res what the results have been. Now, Sandy has been a GM this year after relieving uh, Mr. Scott as GM, who went on administrative leave on September 2nd after pleaded not guilty to driving while intoxicated. Scott's next court date 
the schedule for October 7th. And after his legal situation is resolved, the Mets will make their own determination on his future with the organization. Well, I'm most willing to say that Zach Scott will not be back next year. So I'm going to tell you, you don't have to wait till October 7th. If I'm wrong, kick me in the butt. But I don't think he'll be back at all. And even Sandy said there's been very little contact with Zach since the incident took place. And if you read between the lines, that's not necessarily a good thing. Now, Anderson may not ultimately have a say in it, but he did not tip his hand with regard to how the Mets feel about four key impending free agents. The organization must decide whether to make qualifying offers to Michael Conforto and Noah Syndergaard, and whether to re-sign Marcus Stroman or Javier Baez. So a lot's going to be happening, a lot on the plate. So is it going to be Sandy calling the shots, or will they let the new guy come in? It's going to be interesting how long that process is going to take. How long will it take for the new guy to come in? But sooner or later, you've got to make decisions on these guys, and it could very well be Uncle Sandy making the call. Uh, Alderson did say we are very high on uh, Marcus. They have high value on him, and uh, they look forward to the possibility of talking to him. As to whether the Mets could realistically sign Baez, for whom they gave up prospect Pete Crow Armstrong at the trade deadline, uh, Alderson said, is it possible? Yes. Is it realistic? Maybe. It's hard for me to put odds on it. So like a true politician, Sandy sidestepped the facts when giving his answers. And we shall see what transpires out of all of this. Now, one of the big things that Met fans are going to be concerned about is what's going to happen with Louie Rojas. Uh, Louie, like I said, he, the team collapsed on him. He did make a lot of questionable decisions, but it seems like he's the player's manager. So it depends on how the Mets perceive the manager's role to be as to whether or not Sandy comes back. And uh, obviously the results speak for themselves, and you can see why Rojas's job is in, uh, injury, in jeopardy, I should say. Alderson insinuated on Wednesday that he would likely make the decision on Rojas stays or goes. So it's Sandy's call on this one. But Rojas is doing his best not to worry about his short-term future with the team and said things will turn out fine no matter what happens and where he is in 2022. He says, regardless of what it is, that's the approach you've got to take as a baseball family. I grew up a baseball family. I've always gotten the instruction how you can take some things. When I was on the player side, he got released three times, he said. There was a lot of anxiety on my end when I got released. I wanted to represent the family. I wanted to represent the country. My approach now with the maturity level carry is different. There's no anxiety. There's always to control what you control, and you're, not go and you're going to be fine. Whatever happens, happens. I know he's going to be fine, said uh, Rojas. Now, in his two seasons as a Met manager, he owns a 101 and 117 record. And the Mets missed ex the expanded postseason in 2020, and that kind of sucked last year when eight teams made it and the Mets still didn't make it last year. And it got even worse this year, if you ask me, when they choked away their NLE season this, this year when they were in first and now finished way under 500. Now, let's face it, Rojas has made some very in bad in-game mistakes but uh, he does have a strong relationship with the players. So, again, it's how the Mets perceive what's more important, the relationship with the players or in-game mistakes. Uh, so, tonight could be uh, Louie's last home game as a Met manager. And then he goes to Atlanta with the team to close out the season. So, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I'm interested. I don't think he'll be back, but what do I know? <laughs> yeah, you go easy on me. I know more than you think. Uh, but those are some of the things that are happening. 
Uh, now it's time to do our usual jovial stuff and wish some Met players happy birthday today. Uh, happy birthday to Jose Lima. Who remembers Jose? He was with us uh, for only a couple months in 2006. He pitched four games, 17.1 innings, uh, when he already 9.87. That doesn't mean that Jose did not have a long career. He pitched starting with the Tigers in 94 and ended it with Kansas City in 2005. Uh, who else is having a birthday? Dave Magadan. He was supposed to be the next Keith Hernandez, a hitting machine. Wore number 29 and 10 with the Mets. And uh, he made two... Uh, he was with us for a long time, from 86 to 92, all total played 701 games, 2008 at-bats, 2088 at-bats, and batted a very respectable 292, and he is a hitting machine, without a doubt. He was pure. Uh, he led the Mets in batting average with 328 in 1990, on-base percentage with 417 in 90 and 378 in 91, so he had a good eye at the plate, uh, and he was a good player. I thought he might have developed into more as a player. But he did have a good career nonetheless. Also celebrating a birthday today, Yorkis Perez. Who remembers Yorkis? Yes, back in 1997, he pitched nine games for us, 8.2 innings pitched. Happy birthday, Yorkis Perez. Uh, and let's talk about some transactions. Always at this time of the year, at the end of the year, there's always transactions. As the teams are clearing house. On this date in 1970, the Mets added Nino Espinosa. I remember Nino from the bad years in the 70s. He was fun to watch. Good control pitcher. They signed him as a free agent in 70. They released Jerry Martin in 1984. They granted free agency to Raul Casanova in 2008. Uh, granted free agency to Aaron Althair in uh, September 30th, 2019. And also granted free agency to Tim Peterson on the very same date. So those are the, some of the things that have happened in Met history on this date. Uh, now let's go back into the time machine. What else happened on this date? Well, I'm glad you're asking. Well, on this date in 1962, the Mets finished their inaugural season with 121, 120 losses, a 20th century record when the team drops a 5-1 decision to the Cubs at Wrigley Field. In his last career at bat, New York catcher Joe Pignatano hits into an eighth-inning triple play with Richie Ashburn and Sammy Drake on board. What a way in the season. <laughs> uh, with the base runners also appearing in their last major league game. What are the odds of that happening? All three guys, that was their last game, ending it on a high note, a triple play. Well, Piggy did become a Met coach, so uh, he was a fixture with us for a few years. On this day in 1971, Tom Terrific, for the second time in his career, becomes a 20-game winner when the Mets beat St. Louis 6-1 at Shea Stadium on the final day of the season. In route to the complete game victory, Tom Terrific with 13 Redbirds to end the campaign with a league-leading 289 strikeouts. And on this day in 1972, Pirate outfielder Roberto Clemente doubled off Met John Matlack to become the 11th major leaguer to collect 3,000 hits. Sadly, that will be the last hit for Roberto as he will die in a plane crash on New Year's Eve. A sad story. Uh, not a sad story was this day in 1979. Eddie Cranepool played his last big league game, and he pitched it in the top of the seventh inning and doubled off Bob Forsh when the Mets beat the Cardinals in the season finale at Bush Stadium 4-2. to 
the James Monroe High School graduate who made his debut with the team in 1962 at the age of 17, had been the last original Met in the majors. And on a state in 1980, in front of a front of a thong, uh, let's say a small crowd, make it easier because I'm tongue-tied today, of 1,754 patrons, Met Southpaw Pete Falcone beats the Phillies in the season's last game at Shea Stadium 3-2. to The crowd is the smallest ever to attend a game at the Flushing Ballpark, 33 fewer fans than attended the game the day before at City Field. And how about, remember David Cohn? I thought he was going to be our next Tom Seaver. Uh, or Dwight Gooden. And on this day in 1988, he joined Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, Dwight Gooden, as he improved his record to 20-3. and Not a bad year for the Coney. Uh, he became the fourth pitcher in Met history to win 20 games in a season. And after his 4-2 complete game victory against the Cardinals, the 25-year-old right-hander has a surprise visitor when former President Richard Nixon, or a motor crook, Congratulates him in the Shade Stadium dugout. Great night. And how about probably, you could debate this, but this may have been, this guy may have been the best defensive player in Met history. And on this date in 1999, Ray has plays in his 96th consecutive game without committing an error, breaking Cal Ripken's major league record for errorless games in that position. The flashy infielder will finish the season, extending the mark to 100 games. And maybe you want to close your ears when I read this one. On this day in 2007, with the help of New York losing six out of their last seven games, all at home, unfortunately, and squandering a seven-game lead with 17 to play, the Phillies clinched the NLE's title for the first time in 14 years by beating the Nationals on the last day of the season 6-1. to The Mets' colossal failure down the stretch is considered to be, by many, the worst by a team in baseball history. Uh, on to a brighter note, on this date in 2006, in the Mets' 13-0 route of Washington at RFK Stadium, Julio Franco drove in five runs, tying a career high to become the oldest major leaguer in history to accomplish defeat. The 48-year-old first baseman with three hits falls a triple short of completing the cycle. And on this date, not good news for Francisco Rodriguez, as he becomes the fourth pitcher in history of the game to yield two walk-off Grand Slam home runs. In the same season, when Justin Maxwell goes deep and gives Washington a dramatic 7-4 victory over the Mets at National Park. Last month, Everett Cabrera of the Padres also hit a game-ending four-run round-tripper off K-Rod, making him the only major to league to surrender two game-winning grand slams to a pair of rookies. Well, someone had to do it, right? Now, how about this guy? The guy we all love, Terry Collins. On this date in 2013, the Mets extend manager Terry Collins' contract for another two years, adding a club option for 2016. Now, during his three-year tenure with New York, the 63-year-old skipper, skipper, who has also managed the Astros and Angels, has guided the team to a 225-261 record, the lowest winning percentage of his major league managerial career. So that's some of the stuff that went on on this day. A lot happened. This time of year, you got a lot of records and uh, things going on. So there's always a lot to report on at this time of year. And that's what we're here for, to keep you refreshed and jog your memory banks. <clears throat> now, what's going on in the group? And by the way, if you're not a member of the group and you belong to Facebook, please do join. We're New York Mets Baseball Way of Life. 
We would love to have you aboard. If you listen to this podcast, please subscribe. You'll be updated every one is uh, uploaded. We try to do one every day, and we do our best to do one every day. So you'll have access when one is uploaded, and you'll have access to our voluminous library where you can listen to past broadcasts. Uh, if you're watching the broadcast on New York Mets Baseball Way of Life and Baseball Way of Life, please note that these broadcasts are archived and also broadcast live on YouTube under the Baseball Way of Life uh, account. So please subscribe there. And again, like it or make comments on the broadcast there. We'd love to hear them. Uh, and if you subscribe, again, you'll be alerted when a live one is coming on. And you can watch it at your leisure on YouTube, either live or uh, while it's being recorded. And if you ever need to reach out to me, I'm at philstan41 at gmail.com. Now, what's going on? The greatest baseball group for the Mets there is? Well, I mentioned that Javier Baez's 34 September hits the most by a Mets player in a single month since Wilson Ramos, 43, and Ahmad Rosario, 41, in 2019. I mentioned that Thomas Nito has a 57% caught stealing rate this season. 12 of 21 caught. Not bad at all. Then I mentioned that last season, Dominic Smith had 32 extra base hits and just 199 plate appearances. He was really ripping the ball. Unfortunately, this year he has 29 extra base hits and 483 plate appearances. So that magic has kind of disappeared for uh, Jose. And as always, those are some of the good things that we always discuss. I did a poll where I asked, do you agree with the Mets' decision to shut down Jay Tickrom for the remainder of the 2021 season? 100% of you said yes. Uh, David Rubin said it best when he said, selfishly, I really wanted to see him once more, but there's no point. Let him continue to get stronger, and the countdown to spring training has begun. Amen, brother. So again, that's some of the good stuff that's always going on in the group, so hopefully... Uh, you're active and participating. If not, get on board, will you? Now it's that time of day where we do the Met trivia question and the Met Jeopardy question today. Who's ready? Uh, today's baseball trivia question was: What Met player became the first National League player to be elected to the AL to the All Star team in each of his first four seasons? Uh, today's Jeopardy. And thank you for being patient. The two clues in the first game in the 2006 National League Division Series against the Dodgers. He was the winning pitcher when he pitched two innings, although he blew a 4-1 lead by getting up three runs and allowing the Dodgers to tie the game. Second clue in the 2006 NLCS. He appeared in five of the seven games in the series. He blew a lead in an eventual Game 2 loss, but he did not give up a run in the other four games as the Mets lost to the Cardinals in seven games. Give you a break. I'll have a sip of my coffee as I always do. We'll be back with the answers. Okay, who's ready? Let's rock and roll. Again, the trivia question was, what Mets player became the first NL player to be elected to the All-Star team in each of his first four seasons? Well, the correct answer is the straw man, Daryl Strawberry. And congrats to our resident Met expert Jason Lynch on being the first to submit the answer. Uh, the second thing we do is reveal the Jeopardy uh, question. And the two clues were in the first game in the 2006 National League Division Series against the Dodgers. He was the winning pitcher when he pitched two innings, although he blew a 4 1 lead by giving up three runs and allowing the Dodgers to tie the game. In the 2006 NLCS, appeared in five of the seven games in the series. He blew a lead in an eventual game two loss. 
but he did not give up a run in the other four games as the Mets lost to St. Louis in seven games. Well, the correct response to this one is, who is Guillermo Moda? And guess who got it right? Yes, Jason Lynch, our main man. So congrats, Jason, on another job well done on answering these questions. Well, like I said before, we're going to be wrapping up this broadcast, and we'll be back tomorrow. It's going to be a little bit of a sad day for me going to my city field for one last time today, the last dance, and I think everyone's going for the last dance. Uh, all told, I went to 27 games this year. Next year, I hope to make more. It was just a crazy year with the way things were going. I like to go to at least 50% of the home games. It's my uh, escape. It's always been since I was eight years old. I've been going to either Shea or uh, City Field since I've been eight years old. Except for last year. Last year was fucked up, wasn't it? We never made it. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do? Thank you, COVID, right? Well, anyway, uh, it's going to be fun. Ringing down the curtain. Uh, I always hate to see that happen, but it is reality. And going for the Marlins will be Edward Cabrera, 0-3, 5.79 ERA. Against Rich Hill, 6-8, 3.87 ERA. Hopefully we'll be back tomorrow with a happy recap. Maybe I'll give you some uh, little chit-chat about my last game at City Field this year. And... Uh, It'll be another fun broadcast as always. Again, thanks guys for watching, listening, no matter where you watch or listen to. And I appreciate your support. It means so much to me. And this thing keeps getting bigger and bigger by the day. So again, thank you for everything. And we'll talk again tomorrow. Enjoy the day.